Here's how it works in here, whether you're in-house or you're online, everybody knows we have an amen corner. Amen. There she is. Miss Trina, I'm so glad you and Mervin and Lynn are back. Amen. My amen corner is here. Now, here's what I will tell you. If you don't worship that way, maybe you worship silently. That's okay, too. But some of us just can't contain it. Listen, I had the world tell me for a really long time that the way I worshiped was just too much. And then one day I realized that the Bible says if I don't worship, then the rocks will cry out in my place. I don't know about you, but I don't want a rock to take for, for my place. I want to do it for myself. Amen? That's what we do in here. That's what we do. So if you're visiting with us today and you are a guest, know that we love you. But most of all, know that you matter to us and we mean that from the bottom of our heart. We don't care where you come from. We don't care where you are. We don't care what is going on in the sense of we are not here to judge you, but we do care in the sense of we are here for you to walk this journey with you. And we mean that. We mean that from the bottom of our heart. This is not just another church to say, hey, come be a part. This is a church that literally means what we say when we say we are a church for all people. We are a church for everyone. We are a church for everyone, and we hold that near and dear. Do, are we perfect? Heck no. Can I say that, Donna? Is that okay to say it that way? No way are we perfect, but I promise you this. If you want to know Jesus, and you know what it, want to know what it means to live in personal relationship and walk that this is the place to be, we are the perfect place for imperfect people. We are the perfect place for if you are seeking and you are looking and we are the perfect place to just tell you you are loved and that you matter. So thank you for visiting. Thank you for watching. We want you to know that we love you. You became family when you walked through the doors. Amen. Amen. Now we start a new series today. We have already been preaching about it this morning. The series is called Unnamed. And I loved it because when Pastor Kay wrote this series, everybody kept saying, Are we, do we have a name yet for it? And she said, yeah, unnamed. Unnamed. We will talk about three stories in this series that have impacted history. But the people that impacted history didn't have a name. I don't know if many of you are good or bad with names, I have a tendency to rely on Donna to tell me, okay, now what was their name again? Don't laugh, but I can tell you the shoes they had on, but I cannot remember their name. True story. Don't judge me. I know you are. But for me personally, about it, I just celebrated a month ago, 19 years since I had my lung surgery. And in my lung surgery, many of you have heard me tell that story several times. They removed part of my lung. I ended up with this empyema that had solidified to my lung cavity. And it was smothering me literally from the inside out. And basically, I had about 24 hours until... They didn't know what to do with me anymore. They knew I wouldn't make it. So 
fast and quickly. They are running tests and they are, they are trying to figure out and they rush me to surgery. And they rush me to surgery to tell my parents goodbye in case I didn't make it. And I remember that's the last thing, although there is one story prior to that, but I won't share that. But the last thing I remember was my mom and my dad standing at my bedside hugging me and big tears coming down my giant daddy's face. And then I was gone. I was out. They took me back to surgery. But when they brought me back in, I was in a totally different place. And all of a sudden, when you're in something like that, this is true. This isn't just on television. I woke up thinking, am I in heaven? Because it's all white in this room, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, this woman rounds the corner because she sees that I'm waking up, and she has a British accent. So I'm like, well, I know then that there are angels with British accents in heaven. I know it. Sure of it. I just heard it. And she walks around, and she begins to talk to me. And she begins to tell me, you are a lucky lady and we have been waiting for your eyes to open. She said, some of us have been standing in the corner just praying that your eyes will open. And my eyes opened. And this journey that this woman would take with me would be within two hours of me waking up, would be getting me out of bed. Jesus is not pleased when you've had surgery and then they come and they pull you out of bed. It's not good. I had drain tubes and I had IVs and she is pulling me. She we're going to walk. And for days, this woman would get me out of bed and we would walk. And for days, this woman would come in and she would give me my medication. And for days, this woman would come in and change bandages and, and get me up and make sure I was eating. And by the time I left the hospital, here's the craziest thing. I did not know her name. I did not know her name. I knew that she wore white clogs. I knew that she wore a jacket. I knew that she had her hair perfectly in place, and I did not know her name. I had been so sick and so worried about getting on my feet that I had not paid attention to her name tag. But to this day, this woman's face is vividly Vividly in my memory. Vividly in a place where I know if I saw her again, I would know her. This woman without a name for me changed my life. Each of us have a story we can tell of someone we look back and we go, man, why didn't I get their name, Dawn? Why didn't I get their name? But in that moment, as important as a name is, in, in that moment, she knew that it wasn't about her name. She knew it was about what it took to get me well. And she took that seriously. She had a goal, and let me tell you, it didn't matter if I liked it or not, I was going to meet that daily goal. Today, we're going to talk about another woman whose scripture says doesn't have a name. Some believe it might have been Mary. The sister of Lazarus. But in this text, she doesn't have a name. If you want to turn with me, we're going to read from Matthew 26, 
6 through 13. Amen, Corner. Are you ready? Amen. Are you ready? Amen. All right. We're going to start in verse 6. And it says, when Jesus was at Bethany visiting the house of Simon, who had a skin disease, a woman came to him with a vase made of alabaster containing very expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' head while he was sitting at dinner. Now when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold for a lot of money and given to the poor. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, Why do you make trouble for this woman? She's done a good thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. By pouring this perfume over my body, she's prepared me to be buried. I tell you the truth, that whatever in the whole world this good news is announced, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. Amen? Let me say that one more time. What she's done will also be told in memory of her. And here we stand today in memory of what she did. You see, during biblical times, when a young woman arrived at the age to be married, her family would buy an alabaster box. And they would fill it with perfumes and ointments. And the size of the box and the value of the ointment and the perfume was on display. And it was on display to tell you what the wealth was in this family. It was a big deal. It's like when your kid gets ready to graduate and mom and dad go and buy him a new Mustang. Yeah. When they pull up in that Mustang or, hey, how about that new uh, uh, Bentley or if they were like me, my parents weren't about to buy me a new car, so I got mom's 10-year-old car. I got the hoopty. They were worried about me driving more than my brother driving. I have no understanding of why that was. I could reach the pedals. But in this alabaster vase box was full of perfume. So picture you're sitting at a meal and a woman walks in and she begins to just pour this perfume upon Jesus. Scripture calls it nard because it is mentioned in the Scripture and when it's mentioned in the Scripture, nard is stood for worth. It was precious. It cost everything. Literally at a maximum rate of 1,300 pence to a minimum of 300 pence were annual wages of what this would cost you to buy. Literally, it was like buying a car. For every worker, every family, their daughter would receive whatever amount they could afford. When a person died, now let me get to that next part and I'll come back. When a person died, they would also take the same type perfume and, and they would cleanse the body and then they would pour the perfume and then they would wrap the body in burial cloths. So it was a form of 
keeping it clean, keeping it smelling nice, but also a form of anointing that body. So isn't it interesting that it brought life when you're getting ready to get married, but then it also represented closing out in death. When a person would walk in the door and pour all their perfume on someone, they weren't playing around. It was not a joke. Today, I would tell you three things that I've, I've really thought about in this story for me has been, one, find ways to give God all you have. Find ways to give God all you have. This is all she had. It'd be like walking in and throwing the keys to that brand new car and saying, Jesus, drive yourself where you need to go. You can never, ever outgive God. You see, this perfume was a sign of wealth and possessions for this woman. And she sacrificed all she could and she poured it over Jesus. She was preparing him, though, because she knew that time was coming. So, hey, I'm going to, I love this part, Don. Like, ooh, when I started reading this, tears came down my face. That she began to pour it on him while he was alive before he was dead. Now think about that. She began to pour this on him while he is still living. Sometimes we think giving God all we have means money. And don't get me wrong, it takes money to move the world, keep the lights on, these screens. This, everything costs something. But it's not all about money. It's even, money is just a short little part of that. Giving God all you have is giving him you. You see, this was all of who she was. This represented who she was to the man that she possibly could marry one day. You may not even realize it yet what it is that you have to give. Maybe fear keeps you from giving more. Maybe you're afraid to give your finances. Maybe you're afraid to give your time. Maybe you're afraid to give of yourself. Maybe you're afraid because it hasn't been great experiences for you in the past. But see, here's the deal. It's really not about your experiences. It's about being obedient and surrender to God. Let God handle what happens after you give it. Let God deal with it after you give it. Because you see, you're not in charge of what God does with it. You're just in charge of what you do with it when you hand it over. When you give your time. We all know that probably this day and age, time is the most precious commodity we have. Have you ever thought about when we give our time? This two hours in a day is nothing compared to what we give in a job. It's nothing compared to what we give when we decide we need to work out and we need to get healthy. Do you not think your soul needs it just as much as your body? The point is giving God all we have means who we are as much as what we have. 
giving him everything. And maybe some of you, you've learned who you are. You can give a little bit more of who you are now than you could. And then here's the second point that I loved about this story is look at the bigger picture. Look at the bigger picture. You see, back in that day when someone passed away, like I said, you prepared the body. She knew what was coming. And she knew it wouldn't be long. Jesus is is at this table having dinner right now, but this won't last long. Do you see the significance in this of what it meant? She looked at the big picture. She looked ahead. She knew what was coming. The woman knew that Jesus was going to die, and she's like, hey, I can give all I have right now. Because I know that I want him to have all that I have. Because I know they'll have to bury him. Now here's a side note. If you are on the other side of that table, watching someone give all they have, Look for the bigger picture. Sometimes you just want to look at the disciples in this story and say, you need to go buy a vow. This woman is showing this amazing amount of courage to walk up to Jesus. I mean, hello, she's walking up to Jesus and begins to pour oil. That is a beautiful story, but that took courage. And the disciples all of a sudden want to sit back and they want to ridicule her for it. I look at them sometimes and I scratch my head and I'm like, y'all are missing this beautiful, precious moment. Don't be a disciple (laughs) in this instance. (laughs) I do. I just want to go, oh, Lord, that was probably Peter. Peter, goodbye, Val. Leave this woman alone. She is giving something that you can't. And then my third point is you may feel like you do not have a name, but your actions will tell your story. And I know that many of you work hard, and I know that many of you feel like no one knows who I am, no one knows what I do, and I'm good with that. If you're you're an introvert, you're more than happy with that. If you're an extrovert, you have no idea what to do with that. Many of you do things, give, and help in ways that no one, no one knows. Yet everything you do is telling a story. Everything you do is telling your story, just like she told her story. And what did the scripture say? There will be memories. We will be telling memories of your story. Over 2,000 years, we are telling memories of her story. People will be telling memories of your story. Yet everything we do, it matters. Sometimes it may feel like or seem you do not have a name. Or maybe your name is left off that roster. But you're still telling your story. So that those that are coming behind us will reap the benefits of your story. And there'll be people that don't even know you that will reap the benefits of your story. There will be people that are coming behind you that will go, man, I wish I knew their name. 
Man, I wish I knew their name. Most importantly, God sees your story. God sees what you have given, what you have done. God will take those efforts and he will turn it into a blessing. He will turn it into this beautiful moment. And let me tell you, as I close today, I want to tell you my favorite part of this story. This story alone could have carried this entire series But my favorite part of this story is that Jesus saw this woman. And he recognized immediately what she was doing. The disciples had no idea. And just like we can, we can begin to open our mouths and say things and try to ruin the moment. Jesus goes, hold up. Stop. Do you not see why she is doing what she is doing? Jesus knows. Jesus sees. Jesus understands. And even when others can't see, even when you know the Holy Spirit is speaking and you feel like those around you are not going to understand, Jesus always sees the heart. You do you. You push through. Find the ways that you can always give to God. Find the bigger picture. And know this, God knows your name. And that name matters to him. Jesus will take all that you are, all that you have, and he will make it a beautiful story. And I personally have found in my life that the craziest things that the Holy Spirit has spoken to me to do are the things I don't want to do. They're the things that I sit and I try to argue or gamble with God, and he's like, just do it. And then after I do it, I go, why didn't I do it to begin with? Life would have been so much easier if I would have just listened the first time. Because God sees your heart. God knows your intent. And God sees the big picture. And he knows your name. And let me tell you this. Your name isn't sinner or saved. Your name isn't Grace or no grace. Your name isn't right or wrong. Your name isn't good or bad. There isn't a naughty and a nice list. I'm sorry, he's not ho-ho. He's Jesus. And he says, I created each and every single one of you. And every one of you have a name. And it's written down. It's written down. You have a name. You have a name. I don't know where some of you came from this week and what your week has been like. If your week has been a little bit like mine, I was really thankful to preach this sermon today. 
I was thankful to be reminded that you know what? God knows my name. God knows your name. He sees you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for being the God that you are. And in your presence, when we lay it all at your feet, everything that we have, all that we are, and we lay it at your feet, and others around us think we are crazy, God, but we lay it at your feet anyhow. You call us by name. And sometimes when we forget our name, you call us your child. When we don't even know anymore who we are, you say you are mine. When the world has told us that who and what we are is wrong, you say you are mine. When we have felt defeated and the world has come after us and we don't know what to do next, you go, you what? Look up at me, you are mine. You give us a name. 